0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Wow. Wow! So we're off to a great start. Uh, My name is Gary Anderson. I serve as the pastor here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny White. It is so good to be with you in God's house. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, I just want to Uh, come back after our call to worship and reiterate what was communicated. Uh, If you are visiting with us or you're new with us, um, we are so glad that you're here. We know that is not an easy thing to do, to visit a church or be new in a church, and it is our great hope and prayer uh, that you will find this to be a very loving and welcoming community where you will experience the living God. Uh, I also want to acknowledge we're having some uh, audiovisual technical difficulties today, and so I'm sorry for that. Uh, For all of you outside the sanctuary, hopefully you can hear me, Um, and I think we can all agree. We're going to leave the doors open so that you might catch a uh, glimpse of what's going on in here. I think we can all agree. I'm not much to look at, so you're not missing a ton as far as that side of the equation goes, Uh, but we're sorry about the the technical difficulties out there. Uh, There are a few empty seats in here. If you're brave enough to come in now, won't bother me. Um, Yeah, we got a couple in here. I think we're good. Uh, All right. So 2005, do you remember where you were in 2005? Uh, Tom Brady was 27 years old and he was just coming off of back-to-back NFL Super Bowl championships, the second and third of his young career. He uh, was, had just like was coming to the, it seemed like the peak, we know that he actually went a lot higher than that in the years since then, but was kind of coming to the peak of this meteoric rise from uh, late round draft pick, backup, no name, nobody, nobody knew who he was, to uh, one of, if not the greatest players in the NFL at the time. And in 2005, after his third Super Bowl championship, he sat down with 60 Minutes and did an interview. Uh, and he said some things in that interview that kind of, I've seen it a number of times now, and so it's, a little, bit lost its uh, a little bit lost its shock value for me, but he says a few things. If you know the context of his life and kind of the superstar, all that the world has to offer, wealth, fame, everything, he said some things that are actually kind of shocking in that interview. Uh, we have a clip of it. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to play it, and if we can't, I'm just going to act it out but if we can play it, we'll try it. If not, I'll let you know. I wish we could just play that on loop, like f- for the next forty-five minutes, and then just sit in it. Um, first of all, how young does he look in that video, right? <laughs> Second of all, does that not like it, it, do, can't you like at least respect him for his honesty? Because here's here's the question I want to ask. Like, here's a dude who has literally everything that the world could possibly offer at the peak of his fame and fortune and wealth and whatever else. And he has at least the honesty to sit in in an interview that he knows is going to be played across this country and say, there's got to be something more out there for me. And then when he gets to the end and he's like, God, it's got to be more than this. It's like, I know we're in church, right? And so we know where we're going with this, but it's like, you're talking to the one that you're looking for and you don't even know it. So here's what I want to ask us this morning. Uh, is there anyone in this room who can identify with those feelings? We, thank you. We had, a, we had a couple of hands go up in the first service too and I'm like, we are becoming charismatic right in front of my eyes. Like, <laughs> get those hands up there. Um, I, there are a few people who were brave enough to like, admit publicly in that moment, yep, I feel those feelings sometimes. Um, I suspect that it's more than the few who just raised their hands, okay? And I have not met all of you. I, I genuinely hope I do. Uh, one of the great frustrations for me in this role is this church is too big for me to know everybody. And that is really, I really struggle with that. So uh, I hope I meet all of you and get to know you. Um, I haven't met all of you, but I've met a lot of you. And we've done, I've, done, I've done a lot of coffees and lunches and breakfasts. And I know that what he just said is percolating inside the hearts and souls of the people in this church because you've told me. Here's the deal we are obsessed with greatness we are ob- and we can just take the spiritual off the table in this moment just let's just think about our culture and our society we are obsessed with greatness we love to debate about goats and i'm not talking about the hairy farm animals okay I'm talking about the greatest of all times and i can let, let me just i have the microphone it's michael jordan okay there <laughs> And I grew up in Cleveland, so that just we can just settle that right now. But here's, like, Tom himself, so young. I just can't get over how young he is in that. Tom himself, is, is, he's in the debate for the, the GOAT when it comes to football. We are obsessed with greatness. It's, and it's not just sports. We love greatness in politics. We love it in academia. We love it in business. We love it in the arts. It's why we build museums. It's why we make uh, greatest hits albums, it's why we build statues, it's why we have halls of fame, it's, it's why we put people's names on huge, impressive buildings, it's why we write and read books, it's why we write and read autobiographies or biographies. We are obsessed with greatness. Why, why are we so obsessed as a culture with celebrity? Because we love greatness, and if we can't experience it ourselves, at least let us experience it vicariously through, through someone else. The Kardashians have built an entire empire on selling to you experience greatness through, through our lives. And, and, and here's what I want to say about that. I think that's okay. Not the Kardashians. That's not what I'm saying is Okay. <laughs> We are are hardwired to desire greatness. There is something inside every single one of us that longs to believe that there is something more and there is something better out there. And I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years or for five days, we're all in the same boat. And I, I hear it from you and I feel it in myself. We are all feeling the things that Tom Brady just admitted in that video. There's got to be something greater than this out there for me. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to preach from uh, Matthew chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible or you have a device, I want to read the text for today's sermon. Um, hopefully it'll be up on the screen, but if not, all y'all who expect it to be up on the screens every week and don't bring your Bibles, today is the day where it comes back to get you. Uh Matthew chapter 12, we're going to do verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump ahead and do verses 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Let me know when you got it. Literally, let me know. All right, 10 people got it. Here we go. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now jump ahead with me to verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, here's what we're doing today. We are kicking off a new teaching series here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny White. Uh, it is coming on the heels of the last three weeks. We did kind of a vision and mission series for what are we hoping for, aiming at for 2024. But as we've kind of talked about a bunch over the last few weeks, we're, we're talking about things that we're hoping to aim at and live into way beyond 2024. Uh, and to, today... And then into the next several months, we're going to start a new series in the book of Matthew. Nobody is excited about that. Yeah, come on. You can talk back a little bit more than that. Uh, And here's what I want to try and do with today's message. I want to try and build a bridge this morning From what we have talked about over the last three weeks to what we're going to study over the next several months. What I don't want to feel like is happening today is we talked about vision and mission and some values over the last couple of weeks, and now we're just gonna set those down and we're gonna start into whatever new series, new teaching, book of the Bible series that we're going into here at Midtown. That's not what I want it to feel like at all because what we have talked about over the last few weeks is intimately related to what we are going to study and what what we're going to teach over the next several months in the book of Matthew. This is not a disconnected, like, put down the old series and let's start the new one. The reason we are doing Matthew is because of what we have talked about over the last few weeks. So here's what I want to try and do, Lord willing, this morning. I want to try and summarize very briefly what we have talked about in terms of vision and mission over the last several weeks and put a bow on it in in essence and then at the same time introduce what we're going to do in Matthew and why we're going to do it. So are you you tracking with me so far? Thank you. Here's what we've talked about over the last few weeks. Uh, We... Uh, studied Acts chapter 4 for three weeks in a row and we drew out of this story in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John heal a man who has been disabled since he was born over 40 years old and in the name of Jesus they heal him and that event uh, starts a chain reaction which uh, puts a bunch of things into motion. They get arrested, they get um, like don't, don't the, the, the leaders and the rulers and the uh, chief priests tell them, don't talk about the name of Jesus anymore. And they're like, we can't not talk about it. They go back to their friends. They pray. The room is shaken. Here's, what we, here's, what we, here's the, um, the pegs that we hung our hats on for the last three weeks. The first thing we talked about is that Jesus is over everything. And that is the note that I just want to play over and over and over again as we exist as this church called Midtown Fellowship Granny White, that Jesus is over everything because Jesus is greater than anything that this world has to offer. And then the next thing we talked about was our mission. Why are we here? What are we doing here? And we talked about how we are not called to just exist here in kind of a holy huddle. Where we gather on Sunday mornings and then midweek in our discipleship groups uh, with a bunch of people who look like us and talk like us and believe the same things as us. But we are actually called as God's church to to rise up and to face out. And to, as, as God sent Jesus, so he has sent us. And we're called to bring the hope and love and message of Jesus Christ to a world outside these four walls that is dying to hear it. Because Jesus puts a calling on our lives that is greater than any calling that this world can put on our lives. And then last week, we talked about how do we actually do that. And we talked about how we need a power that comes from outside of us because we can't do that ourselves. We need a power that is greater than any power that this world can offer us. And we find that through Jesus and through his Holy Spirit. And we primarily access that through prayer. So it's just over and over this theme of Jesus is over everything. And that is the controlling, uh, the controlling principle for everything everything that we do in our lives. And so as we come to this study over the next several months in the Gospel of Matthew, what I want us to see is that the theme of the Gospel of Matthew is the same theme that we have been talking about over the last three weeks. And listen, I'm going to tell you this, like just full disclosure, if you went and read a bunch of commentaries this afternoon on the book of Matthew, I know you all are going to go do that. You would not find a lot of scholars who would say that the theme of the book of Matthew is found in chapter 12, but I'm here as Pastor Gary to say that's my interpretation of the book of Matthew. The the theme of the book of Matthew is summarized, I believe, in the passages we just read, and it is this, something greater is here. That is the the message of the book of Matthew, I think, from chapter 1 through chapter 28, that something greater is here. And that is the theme of what we have been leaning into in terms of what are we aiming at here at Granny White over the last three weeks, that something greater is here. And so I just want to take a few moments that we have together this morning to, to, to flesh out what are these two passages that we just looked at teaching us and what does that mean for us as we lean into God's calling collectively here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White? Seeing the bridge a little bit? Vision? New, new series. Greater than. Uh, the, the title of this series in Matthew, we're calling it Greater Than, which we just took right out of that text. Uh, and the title of this sermon today is Greater Than. So that works out, works out really well. Two points to my sermon. Uh, and the first one is this, and I've said it like 10 times already, so it won't be a surprise. Something greater is here. Something greater is here. I lied. The series is called Something Greater. That's my bad. Sometimes, sometimes the preacher messes up too. Something greater. That's the name of the series and the name of this uh, sermon. And the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that something greater is here. And that's not just Matthew 12. That's I mean, that's all of the New Testament, but that's, uh, that's the, 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 just the overriding theme that we're going to come back to over and over again as we study Matthew over these next, uh, next couple of months. So just, we'll get into this more as we enter into Matthew in the coming weeks, but just a quick 30,000 foot view of what is the gospel of Matthew. Uh, it is the first of four biographies that we get of Jesus' life in what we call the New Testament. It is the first one that we get in the New Testament. And this is why I think it is so beautiful, because Matthew is doing for the Bible what I want to be doing with this sermon today, building a bridge from vision to this next book that we're going to study. Matthew is the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament in the Scriptures. And of the four Gospels, the four stories of Jesus' life in Scripture, Matthew's is the one that is distinctly Jewish, It is written to Jewish converts to Christianity. And he is constantly looking back to the Old Testament. You will hear as we go through this book, and if you've read it yourself, you'll remember this. Over and over again, Matthew inserts these uh, editorial comments into his gospel saying, this was to fulfill what was promised. Because over and over again, he quotes the Old Testament and shows how Jesus is the one who fulfills that. And even in the way that Matthew's gospel opens up, we see this theme that something greater is here. So in the very first verse of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter one, verse one, he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does he start his gospel that way? Because the two great promises of the Old Testament were made to David and to Abraham. The two great covenants that God made with his people in the Old Testament were made with Abraham and with David. And here comes Matthew right out the gate saying something greater than David and Abraham is here. The one you have been waiting for is here. And what is implicit in Matthew chapter 1 I believe he makes explicit in Matthew chapter 12 in the passages that we just read. So very quickly, let's just get a little bit of context for what's going on here. So in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, uh, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. And if you've been around church for a little while, you know the Pharisees are the, the bad guys in the New Testament. Jesus had literally nothing but grace, patience, kindness, and love for almost everyone, all of the sinners and the degenerates and the outcasts and the broken. But the the group of people that he went in hardest against were the religious hypocrites, the legalists, the Pharisees. And here they come to Jesus and they see that Jesus' disciples have been plucking heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees consider that work, they consider that a violation of God's command to rest from work on the Sabbath. That wasn't in the scriptures, they had added it. But they come to Jesus and they say, why do your disciples eat grain on the Sabbath? Why are they working on the Sabbath? And Jesus uh, refers them to two passages in the Old Testament, one about David going into the uh, tabernacle and eating the bread of the presence, which was only supposed to be eaten by the priest because he was hungry. And then he also talks about how the priests in the temple work on the Sabbath, but they aren't considered to have violated the Sabbath. And what he is saying in both of those anecdotes is there is a higher principle here than don't work on the Sabbath. And then he comes to them and he says this in verse 6. He says, I tell you, you're so concerned about your uh, religious system. You're so concerned about the temple. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And then uh, jump ahead with me to verses 38 and 42 and we get another instance of some conflict with the Pharisees. The scribes are involved in this one too. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, hey, uh, you need to give us a sign so that you can prove to us you are who you say you are, which is really ironic because Jesus has been doing nothing but signs since he came onto the scene, but apparently those are not enough for them. And they're like, we need another, a different sign. And he's basically like, you're not going to get a sign. He says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, which they would have known that really well because the Pharisees really knew the scriptures really well. And he says to them, just like Jonah was three days and night, three, days and three nights in the belly of the fish, I am going to be three days and three nights also, except I'm going to be in a tomb. And when I am resurrected, that will be the sign that you are asking for. And he's like, and you guys think so highly of Jonah and the prophets, but uh, I got to tell you something. Verse 41, something greater than Jonah is here. And then he talks in verse 42 about the queen of the south in Kings and Chronicles. We get this story of uh, this woman known as the queen of Sheba who hears about Solomon and his wealth and his wisdom and how glorious the God is that he serves and she comes from a long way away to meet with Solomon and he says to them to close up this little interaction, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Three times, whenever things are repeated in scripture, it's a really good sign that it's important. Three times in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says something greater than Dot 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 is here. So what's going on here? What is this greater than, greater than, greater than? Uh, when we look back to the Old Testament, what we find is in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, uh, there were three primary offices. Hang with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. Three offices: the office of priest, the office of office of prophet and the office of king. Those were like the, th- the big roles that you could have in the Old Testament. And they were like our three branches of government, three separate offices. Priests weren't prophets, prophets weren't kings, kings weren't priests. But what becomes apparent as you work through the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly as you get through the end of the the prophets in the end of the Old Testament, what starts to become clear is that the promised Messiah, the coming one that God had promised his people was coming one day, he was going to bring all three of those offices together in one person. There was going to be one coming someday who would be a prophet and a priest and a king. And so when Jesus tells the Pharisees, you guys who have have completely structured your lives to try and convince God to do for you what you want him to do. You all who have, have laid out all these rules and expectations, believing that if you could just follow the scriptures more than and above than even what God had laid out, that that would cause him to send the one that you have been waiting for. That would cause him to send the, the redeemer, the savior, the, the deliverer, the Messiah. He's like, something greater than the temple is here. He's saying something greater than the priesthood is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than the prophets is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than the kings is here. And the implication, like don't miss it, obviously, is that he is the something that is greater. He's saying, he's saying, the one you have been waiting for the one you have been working so hard to bring, the one you have been performing so hard for is here, right in front of your face. Something greater is here. These things that you Pharisees have literally built your lives around are the lesser things because something greater is here. And I think I experienced this week uh, exactly what Matthew was talking about in this text. Uh, my wife and I were invited this week very generously uh, to go to a Preds game. Preds. Thank you, seriously, wow. No, no Preds fans whatsoever. There it is. Um, and, and the way that went down was... Um, the, the, the people who invited us, uh, I was corresponding with them. It was on Monday night. I was corresponding with them on Monday about the plans. And the plan was we were going to go a little bit early, stop somewhere for dinner on the way, the, the way to the arena, and then head into the arena and go to the game. And uh, like maybe an hour after that interchange, I got this beautiful text message uh, from the person, the people we were going with. And it said they had not realized that the tickets that we were going on actually included access to, come on, to the Lounge, the Lexus Lounge. For one night, I felt what it was like to be a one percenter. Uh, I don't know. Have, you, have, have y'all been to the Lexus Lounge? Some? Some of you haven't. Let me just, for those of you who haven't, just, just bear with me as I describe this scene to you, okay? The Lexus Lounge it is like this exclusive club in the bowels of Bridgestone Arena. You descend down and it's like velvet ropes and mahogany and it's, it's dimly lit, but it's perfectly lit. And if you have the right tickets, you, you go up to that entrance and they check your tickets and then you get a wristband and you go into the Lexus Lounge. And it is like, um, there's like seven different buffet stations I got lost in the Lexus Lounge. <laughs> there is so much food you couldn't possibly uh, try it all. I did my best to actually make that happen. Um, there is a coffee bar. There is a, a dessert bar. There is an alcohol bar. There is a pizza bar. There are probably other bars in there that I just didn't even get to experience because I couldn't find them. Uh, it's like all the, all the stadium food you could possibly want, but it's better than the regular stadium food, you know. And then on top of that, it's like the finest meats and cheeses and whatever. I don't even know. And um, so it is like you want to talk about feeling special. You you get uh, to be a part of the Lexus Lounge. And so um, I I know gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins, and we wrestled with that <laughs> on Monday night. Uh, but but ate to my ate to my heart's content. And then so here's the deal. Here's yeah. This is actually, it's actually my second time in the Lexus Lounge. Yeah. So, uh, and the first time when I, when we, I had a ticket there, um, our seats were like right outside of the entrance to the Lexus Lounge. And so it's like so bougie, just kind of walk in and out as you please. And oh, by the way, it's all free. Did you, did you know that? It's free, 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 free. Do you know the only thing that tastes better than delicious food? Free delicious food. And so the first time we were right there, but this, this time our seats were literally on the other side of the arena. So as we were sitting watching the game, like we were looking at the Lexus Lounge on the other end. And so what that meant was to go there, uh, we had to go up the stairs and out into the, the, the concourse amongst the commoners <laughs> and walk, walk the length of the arena and, and descend down the stairs into the into the Lexus Lounge. And so as we, as we finished our meal and, and we, oh, and by the way, sorry, I got to tell you this. Between the second and third periods, we went back and they had replaced one of the pizza stations with warm chocolate chip cookies. Yes, yeah, I, I had two and they're like that big. After dinner, as we're walking up and into the concourse, I just, I was struck as I walked into the concourse by the contrast between what I had just experienced and what I was watching up there, because here are all these people spending nine dollars for a Dasani bottle of water, fifteen bucks for a for a pretzel and cheese. for a couple of hot chicken strips and they got to go eat it at a high boy table with 14 other people, you know, like trying to do, or they got to take it to their, schlep it to their seats and sit there like this, trying not to spill it. And I just, as I walked through the concourse, I just wanted to yell, something greater is here. (laughs) I wanted to take little kids' faces in my hands and be like, there is something better than this and at the risk of greatly cheapening what God's word is teaching, that longing that you are feeling in your soul right now to go to the Lexus Lounge, it is real. That longing in your heart right now that you are like, God, there has gotta be something greater than this out there for me. That is real, and it should be there. We are designed, we are made for something better. We are made for something more. We are made for something greater than. And it is here. So that's the first thing. Like something greater is here. And here's the second thing I want us to see in this passage. Uh, And this is more of a, it's not really like a theological statement, but more of an exhortation. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Something greater is here, and may we not miss it. Because the major theme of these two passages that we just read in Matthew chapter 12 is this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the ones who are supposed to be the keepers of the law, the ones who know the scriptures better than anyone, the ones who had literally organized their lives around obedience to God and knowing God and and forcing through their performance and their religious perfectionism, forcing God to do for them what he had promised he would do. And Jesus is standing right there in front of them and he is like, the one you have been waiting for is here. The one you have been looking for is here. The one you have been longing for is here. I am right in front of you right now. You could reach out and touch me, but you're gonna miss me. Because you are so distracted by lesser things. Because your expectations of me and who I actually am are not lining up. And so something greater is actually here. The something greater that you have been waiting for and longing for and hoping for and praying for. And the danger is you are going to miss it. And I want to, we'll spend, I think, some more time with the Pharisees as we work through the Gospel of Matthew in these coming months. But I just want to pause here for a minute because uh, if you've been in church for any length of time, if you grew up in church, you know, like, the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? I said it earlier. But I want us to do our best in this moment to try and enter into what would it have actually been like to be a Pharisee? Because those were real people, right? They, we we kind of caricature them in, in Scripture. Uh, they were real people. And here's what I suspect. I suspect there were some Pharisees who were thinking to themselves, there's got to be something greater than this out there for me. I suspect there were some Pharisees who, when they went home at night, after a long day of arguing with someone about one of the 613 extra laws they put onto God's commands, And they took off their phylacteries and their tassels and their headdress and whatever else it was, and they laid their head down on what was probably a rock-hard burlap sack pillow. In those pregnant moments between when you get into bed and when sleep actually took them over, I can't help but wonder if there were some Pharisees who thought to themselves, God, there's got to be something greater than this out there for me. And then they got up the next day and they went into the temple and there he was, the one who is greater than walking and talking and breathing amongst them. But they were so distracted by lesser things that they missed him. I love the way uh, C.S. Lewis puts it, and he he said it in a sermon which got collected into a book called The Weight of Glory. And uh, again, if you. Been around church for a while. You've probably heard this one before, but that's because it's so good. Uh, Much like what we've been talking about, C.S. Lewis is like, you are actually supposed to long for something, something greater. Uh, He says we should. And then this is what he says In fact, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I don't want to miss it. Something greater is here and I don't want to miss it. Can I just go, uh, can I just go a little bit autobiographical here? and uh, my hope is an expectation because I've talked with some of you, it will draw some of you in. Um, we live insane lives. We are so overscheduled and overcommitted and overextended and overworked and overcaffeinated and overalcoholed that one's not so much, uh, th- that's not so much autobiographical. Just don't want you to think, you know, like there's, there's an issue that you need to talk to me about. Uh, we are running around like chickens with our heads cut off, constantly trying to fill our schedules and our lives and our hearts with small, mean, nasty things thinking that somehow they will satisfy the longing in our hearts that, God, there's got to be something greater out there for me. And that's true whether you've been walking with Jesus for five days or 50 years. That is a constant battle. But I want us to believe and live out here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny White, that something greater is here. Something greater than what Green Hills and 12 South and East Nashville, and Brentwood, and Nashville can offer us is here. Oh, we have one shot at this life. We have one shot at this life, and may we not waste it because we are so distracted by the lesser things. May we get to the end of our lives and not look back and say, I spent my life making mud pies in the slums when a holiday at the sea was offered to me, but I was so distracted I couldn't see it. Something greater is here, and I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it either. Uh, when I, I spent the last few years in California, uh, <laughs> a lot more sunlight in California, which is awesome, um, and uh, the Bay Area of California is a really, really unique place. It is a really unique place. It is not like Nashville. It is, it is very different, and at least when I was there, uh, most of the statistics that I saw were that in a, about 10 million people live in the Bay Area, and uh, about 2 or 3% of those people would call themselves Christians. Very, very different place to do ministry than uh, the Mid-South Nashville. Uh, and while I was out there, we had the opportunity for a guy named John Piper to come speak at our church. It wasn't for our church. It was a big bay area wide event and i don't remember what he talked about uh, i do remember that there was a q and a afterwards i don't remember what the question was that was asked but i remember what john piper's answer was to the question someone asked something about if you were here if you were a pastor in the bay area h- how would you approach your ministry and this is what he said he said if i was if i was doing ministry in the bay area th- this would be not my 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 only goal it would be to paint a picture of Jesus that is more beautiful than anything the Bay Area can offer. And I love that. And that's what I want us to do at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. I want us to paint a picture of Jesus that is more beautiful than anything Nashville can offer us. I can't do that in my own power, but here's the deal. We don't need to embellish We don't need to put a lot of flowers and roses and nice smelling things on it. All we need to do to paint a picture of Jesus that is more beautiful than anything this world has to offer is preach the gospel. All we have to do is tell the story of a God who loves you more than you could possibly comprehend, just as you are. And a God who sent his son Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself And that that longing in your heart that there has got to be something greater than this for me is real and it can be met and it is met in the person of Jesus Christ. So the danger of a message like this is for me to stand up here and just uh, spew a bunch of Christianese over and over again. That if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard a bunch of times and I don't want to do that. But sometimes, as we talked about in the prayer time earlier, sometimes we need to be reminded of what is true even if we don't feel like it inside of us. And this is the truth. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Nashville is here. Something greater than America is here. Something greater than Donald Trump and Joe Biden is here. Something greater than the NFL is here something greater than making the team is here, something greater than getting into the right school is here, something better than having your kids in the right school is here, something better than a boyfriend or a girlfriend or the perfect marriage is here, something better than a broken marriage is here, something better than your career is here, something better than your finances is here, something better than your vacations is here, something better than your success is here, something better than cancer is here, Something better than sickness is here. Something better than sadness and loneliness and frustration. Something better than disease is here. Something better than guilt and shame and sin and death is here. Something greater is here. God, there has got to be something greater out there for me than this. And there is. And his name is Jesus Christ. Something greater is here.